welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'm Mark Sennett, the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. We're delighted that this podcast is once again sponsored by the Health and Safety event. And if you haven't heard about the Health and Safety event, it takes place on the 27th to 29th of April 2021 at the NEC in Birmingham. It's also co-located with the Fire Safety event, the Facilities event, the Security event, Main Tech and the Emergency Services show. You can register for free to attend and you can have access to all of those exhibitions and shows and there's hundreds of hours of free CPD content available. So if you'd like more information on the event, all you need to do is go to healthandsafetyevent.com. Now, if you want to get the latest news in the health and safety sector, please do go to our website where you can sign up to get to our latest webinars, which can give you CPD for attending. All you need to do is go to hsmsearch.com and click on the webinars tab and you can go through our back archive of webinars and look at our upcoming webinars and you can get CPD for attending those. Now you can also sign up for free to get a copy of Health and Safety Matters magazine six times a year, or you can sign up to get our twice a week e-newsletter. So all of this is available to you along with the latest news, prosecution and products on our website, which is hsmsearch.com. So as always, we start with news on the Health and Safety Matters podcast. So the one I want to cover first was a story we covered on IOSH urging the government to invest in occupational safety and health. IOSH has submitted proposals to the government's comprehensive spending review, which is calling for recognition of the importance of occupational safety and health. I'll call it OSH for short from now on. In revitalising and rebuilding an economy that's been ravaged by the COVID-19 pandemic. The proposals position OSH not only as a key to combating this pandemic, but also guiding principle for future of work. To protect lives and livelihoods, IOSH has called for improved resourcing for the work of important government functions. This would include the Health and Safety Directive, the HSC, which obviously is a regulatory framework in force and provides guidance for the UK, but also the Work and Health Unit, which supports those with health conditions and workforce health and well-being, and the Department of Health and Social Care, which has helped implement the COVID-19 security arrangements, such as test and track isolate systems, and the provision of PPE equipment. Furthermore, IOSH proposes increased public health awareness campaigns are done by the government. So Richard Jones, who's Head of Policy and Regulatory Engagement at IOSH said, to help address the current COVID-19 crisis and beyond, we call on the government and HM Treasury to support the urgent action we propose to protect lives and the livelihoods and improve workforce health and prosperity. We know that good work is good for health and well-being and that positive feelings about work have been linked to higher productivity and profitability as well as customer and worker loyalty and we're calling for ongoing health and safety commitment resourcing and capacity building so as well as immediate responses to the pandemic iosh believes that significant government department spending is needed to build long-term osh skills and capacity it emphasizes that by supporting effective osh management work can be both productive and good for health and well-being IOSH is recommending that the government thinks about trade deals and major investments in infrastructure projects, for example, the plans for broadband provision, green technologies and housing programmes should all have embedded effective OSH principles at the design and agreement stage to help ensure reliable delivery and support productivity. In addition, IOSH suggests that incentivising responsible business conduct, corporate social responsibility and high quality corporate occupational health provision will all have a net positive impact in supporting individuals and businesses as well as economic renewal. It's a concern that HSE statistics 
on occupational health for 2018-19 in Great Britain have revealed that were 4 million cases of work-related ill health, with 23.5 million working days lost, 13,000 deaths from past exposures at work, 602,000 cases of work-related stress, depression and anxiety, and around £22 billion pounds worth of annual loss to the economy, including from long latency diseases. These figures are alarming enough, but when you consider alongside the human and socioeconomic impact of COVID-19 and the fact that overall 39% of private sector employees and only 21% in small enterprises have access to occupational health services. So I usher demanding urgent action on this. So a lot to take in there, um, plenty of statistics backed up from HC, but IOSH's overall message here is it wants additional funding to ensure that OSH is at the forefront of everything that the government does from now on, and that means protecting regulators such as the HSE. I think there's a lot to agree with in that, but of course we all know this is a time where money is going to be tight for the government because it's being pulled left, right and centre because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But what shouldn't be underestimated or understated in what Ayash is saying is a good health and safety culture that's a core of every business is good for productivity, is good for people's health, is good for motivation. And the true cost of not taking occupational health and safety seriously is the statistics that I just said, you know, 4 million cases of work-related ill health and 23.5 million working days lost. So, yeah, a lot lot to agree with there from IOSH. So on the last episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast, I was joined by Jim Struthers from Casellan, and we had a really interesting conversation about what you need to do to protect employees from silica dust. So on a new story this week, I thought linked in quite nicely to that. And if you haven't listened to the last episode of the podcast, it's well worth going back to listen to our interview with Jim and also Jigna from the British Safety Council about a really interesting workplace health and well-being campaign that the British Safety Council are doing. But back on the topic of dust, the Health and Safety Executive is actually cracking down on dust is a story that we ran earlier this month. Health and safety inspectors across Great Britain will be targeting construction firms to check that health standards are up to scratch during a month-long inspection initiative which started on the 5th of October. This is the fourth health-focused initiative of its kind and as in previous years inspections will focus on respiratory risks and occupational lung disease looking at the measures businesses have in place to protect their workers' lungs from the likes of asbestos, silica and wood dust and this is part of the HC's longer-term health and work strategy to improve health within the construction industry. While the primary focus will be on the health during this programme of inspections, if a HSE inspector identifies any other areas of concerns, they will take the necessary enforcement action to deal with it. These include making sure that businesses are doing all they can to protect their workers from the risks of coronavirus and making workplace COVID secure. Inspectors will also be looking at evidence of employers and workers knowing the risks, planning their work and using the right controls. If necessary, they will use enforcement action to make sure these people are protected. Construction Initiative will be supported by HSE's Dust Buster campaign, which aims to influence employer behaviour by encouraging builders to download a free guidance and advice, increasing knowledge and capability to protect workers' health. More than 3,500 builders die each year from cancers related to work, with, and of course thousands of working days are also lost on the back of this. So HSE's Chief Inspector of Construction, Sarah Jardine, said around 100 times as many workers die from diseases caused or made worse by their work than are actually killed in construction accidents. Our inspection initiatives 
ensure that inspectors are able to speak to duty holders, visit sites to look at the kind of action businesses are taking and protect and see what they're doing to protect workers. There are a few simple things that everyone can do to make sure they're protecting their health and their future. Be aware of the risks associated with activities you do every day. Recognise the dangers of hazardous dust and consider how it can affect your health. We want businesses and their workers to think of the job from start to finish and avoid creating dust by working in different ways to keep dust down and wear the right mask and clothing. So, yeah, I mean, this is an ongoing issue. I remember back in the day when the HSE did the asbestos campaign, the Hidden Killer campaign. It's great that the HSE is back out on site, being proactive with inspections. And this is not them coming out to try and trap people. This is them coming out to quite rightly doing their job to make sure that people are being kept safe. And of course, they've got an extra duty there of making sure that workplaces are COVID secure as well. Something, you know, completely support. And if you guys want to find out more about this, please do go to the HSE website. And the exact link to that is hsc.gov.uk forward slash construction forward slash infonet.htm. Or, of course, you can follow the Health and Safety Executive on Twitter. And they also have an at Safer Sites account on Twitter as well and on Facebook. So, yeah, that web address again is hsc.gov.uk forward slash construction forward slash infonet.htm. So that leads on perfectly to our first guest on the Health and Safety Matters podcast this week. We're delighted to be joined by Matthew Bettles, who's the Principal Ergonomics Consultant at the HSE's Science and Research Centre. I had a fascinating chat with Matt, all about what the HSE is doing to encourage workers to take seriously the protection and well-being of workers that are currently home-based working. It seemed like the perfect time to get Matt on because with local lockdowns happening again and many of you have been constantly based at home since this virus hit i felt it was a good time to sit down with matt and uh, see what advice the hse have got so i sat down with matt earlier on today and here's what he had to say afternoon matthew how are you i'm very well thank you comfortably working at home at the moment well thanks for joining us we wanted the health and safety god i want to try that again thanks for joining us we wanted the health and safety executive on for a while so what we're talking about the hsc what have hsc been up to in the field of ergonomics during the period of covid19 well first and foremost getting used to working at home like many of the uh, you know, rest of the uk um We've been doing actually very busy stuff related to COVID, uh, initially looking at planning research and, and interventions we can make um, to help people return to work as and when that's appropriate, and looking at different sectors and how COVID-19 is affecting the running of different sectors, for example, um, managing uh, process safety and how COVID-19 could affect the human factors elements of those high hazard industries, as well as looking into mental health and the impacts of working at home and also how we return to work in the in the most sensible and, and, and appropriate fashion for most people to avoid the inevitable stresses of getting back to work. Um, in the field of musculoskeletal disorders, on that side of uh, things, uh, we've unfortunately, you know, as part of our mission to prevent death, injury and ill health, we have been continuing with 
um, investigations, and there have still been some incidents around, obviously challenging to look at uh, with COVID restrictions in place, but sadly we, we still get called out for those kinds of events. And then more close to home, we've been doing a lot of work to develop a suite of tools for the musculoskeletal disorders assessments. I think many people are familiar with things like the MAC tool, the ART tool and the RAP tool for assessing manual handling or upper limbs tasks. Well, we've taken those online and we've been developing a suite of online tools that are uh, potentially free to download off our HSE website very, very soon. Um, there are paid for versions as well that have been published by colleagues in TSO books and SNAP surveys that enable you know, organizations to make their assessments much quicker, much simpler, using online systems like apps uh, to capture that data and to make better use of assessments. So all in all, it's been a very busy uh, time. And, and like many of us, the period of working at home has been running very, very quickly. It feels like we're running out of time almost to get these things developed. Well, it seems like a pretty timely time to have you on and talking about this, because obviously there's another stages of lockdown up and down the United Kingdom at the moment in different states. And a lot of people are having to work from home and have had to work from home for a while now due to COVID-19. So a question for you is, is working at home impacting on our musculoskeletal well-being? It definitely is, yes. Um, to what extent, we really don't know. There's a lot of, of great, great literature out there or, or, or literature that wouldn't normally pass the scientific qualifications for us to, to really promote. But a lot of indicators, you know, from the uh, as early as March and April this year, the Institute of Employment Studies put out a survey to look at MSDs related to home working and found that as many as 55% of us are now suffering from a back pain that we, we associate with working at home. Um, it's definitely having an impact. I think the problem we have with how to intervene is it's difficult to really ascertain why it's having an impact. Is it because many of us are sitting on um, dining chairs instead of comfortable office chairs, working off dining tables or ad hoc kind of workstations at home? Or is it more because we're much more sedentary and that's having an impact on our exercise? We no longer walk across car parks to get to and from work or or use public transport. So our step count per day is reducing our general fitness levels, maybe being impacted, and that can have a knock-on effect of MSDs as well. And I suppose finally, the, the, the psychosocial element, we know there's comorbidity with stress and musculoskeletal disorders, and is working at home proving more stressful for many people? Certainly those of us who haven't got job security, for example, that will engender stress and that could increase the prevalence of, of, of literally back pain, wrist pain and, and so forth. So the easy answer is yes, there is more a greater prevalence of MSDs, we think. But is it linked to your workstation and the way you've got your laptop set up on your, on your dining table? Or is it linked to other things? It's impossible for us to say with any certainty. So obviously in, in my business, we've got uh, a number of people who have wanted to come back to work and we've made it as COVID secure as we possibly could do, following guidance giving out by the HSC and, and other bodies. But we've always had a number of people working from home and we still have people working from home. So I guess not just as a general question, but also from my perspective, what can be done to support people who are working from home? There are a number of things definitely we, we can do to ease people's comfort and, and, and help them achieve comfortable kind of arrangements while working at home. 
there's an awful lot of work going on with providing guidance and getting guidance out towards people. It's very pragmatic, very, very um, straightforward and, and simple guidance. It doesn't really replicate necessarily having the comforts of a, you know, a, a very adjustable office chair and separate screens and things like that. There'll always be an element of compromise if we're working off a laptop, for example. But I think the key interventions are providing pragmatic guidance and continuing with those discussions with line management um, or with colleagues to find solutions to get them in place. Now, the solutions themselves, absolutely some organisations are sending out really good office furniture for people to use in their homes. And if we don't mind having that in our home, if we have the space, that's a great solution and good practice. But actually, a lot of the solutions can be much more pragmatic and things like taking more regular breaks. Normally, we say, you know, have at least a five-minute break every hour. Well, actually, let's take a five-minute break every half an hour from our seated workstations. And in fact, every time you have a phone call, for example, go for a walk around the house or the garden if you've got one and just take more exercise, get relief from the compromises we have in our postures. So there's an awful lot that can be done. And I think we're asking, you know, duty holders, employers and individuals working at home to all take more responsibility, stop and have a think and be mindful of workstations and you know, look out for those simple solutions, those easy, um, achievable, achievable solutions. You may not be able to get a, a very expensive office workstation or office chair, but you can go and get a cushion and put that behind your back to get a bit of back support and a bit of warmth in your, in your back muscles. You might not be able to uh, dual screen but you may just be able to put your laptop on a, some books, for example, and for less than 20 pounds, get a separate keyboard and try and achieve those decent uh, postures that we try and achieve in the office, doing our best to achieve them you know, in the work home, in the home workstations. Well, there certainly won't be a problem for me in terms of uh, increasing my step counts while on the phone and walking around. I'm one of those irritating people that can't stand still when they're on the phone, as you know, the worst of me <laughs> yeah, can tell you. And, and the hole in my carpet I seem to burn in my office by walking around. <laughs> but, you know, you talked about how some companies are providing office equipment for home workers, but do employers need to do display screen equipment assessments or what are employers' obligations when people are working at home? So should employers actually be providing office equipment to temporary home working? Um, where it's achievable, um, yes. Where it's practicable to do so. The, uh, the issue we've got, I think, is in terms of, of the assessments themselves, traditionally some organisations are already using the, the very good online systems for doing assessments. And to, to just change that assessment from the office assessment to a home workstation assessment is very doable, and, and especially an online uh, version, very achievable. Um, where you can't do that, and especially in organisations where we've had traditional uh, DS, you know, approaches to DSE risk management with an assessor and a clipboard walking around to individual workstations, we absolutely wouldn't suggest that you know, organisations send assessors around to people's homes of course because of COVID-19 restrictions, but just because it wouldn't be practicable to do so either. And so in those circumstances, perhaps not doing a full assessment that you might do in the office, but using the various HSE tools that are on our website for free, 
to still do an assessment using the paper-based versions that you can download for free off the HD website, just to have a look and be mindful of potential problems with your home workstation and then potential solutions, things you can do. So those things you can do will literally be reaching in the linen cupboard and putting some blankets on your seat pan so that you can sit a little bit higher to accommodate a, a dining table, for example. Some of it will be closing curtains and those kinds of simple interventions will come to light with a simple assessment. And in terms of could the employer send things home? Well, in some circumstances, yes, and it's appropriate. In some circumstances, no, and it's not. And it's about that discussion with your employer. What are your needs and what are the requirements? Could you nip into the office under COVID restriction um, uh, arrangements and pick up your specialist mouse, an extra keyboard, even a monitor, for example, and perhaps in some circumstances, an occupational health provider chair if you need one. Could you do that? Can you make those arrangements with your with your management? And can they enable you to do that? If so, then yes, I think it is worthwhile. It would be practicable and, and quite achievable to do so. Um, we wouldn't recommend, though, a lot of organisations sending out lots and lots of new DSE equipment without first having lots of discussion and trying to find alternative solutions. I just think it'll be very expensive to do. And we don't really know how long we will be working at home. If we could foresee it's going to be another year, which is no indication it is, but then perhaps we'd be able to make some of those you know, informed decisions. But it could be, in, in maybe um, uh, it's looking less likely, but it could be that most of us are back in the office in the next three months in which case spending an awful lot of money on additional equipment now that's going to be superfluous when they do go back to the offices perhaps isn't the best way forward. Well, the Health and Safety Executive has referred to homework at the moment as temporary homeworking. Why is the HSE calling it temporary homeworking when, to a lot of people, this feels pretty permanent or could actually be permanent? Absolutely, yeah. I, I completely sympathise. At our website, when we're looking at uh, and it was generated back in March, April. Um, we did started to define the difference between permanent home workers who have contracted to work at home on a permanent basis and temporary home workers, those of us who have been sent home because of a COVID restriction and intend at some point to go back into the office. The idea of the word temporary has been uh, difficult and, and, and somewhat controversial. And by temporary, we just mean it's not permanent. There's not really a time scale against temporary. It suggests and elicits maybe a, a short term thing, and that was certainly the hope back in March. But even if it's longer term working at home, it may still be temporary if you intend to go back to the office post COVID. And the reason we're doing that is where we've got planned home workers and people with specific uh, job roles and contracts that say they are home workers, there is a greater onus on the uh, on the duty holder, on the employer, to make provisions for people at home. And people who are home workers should expect to have a, um, the office equipment provided for them in their in their home workspace. Whereas those of us who've had to kind of back in March, grab some stuff and rush off home, um, it's probably not, uh, not practicable for us to have expectations that we will be given all of us, you know, very nice tables and very nice chairs and have a, a home, an office workstation in our home environments. And so that's what we're getting out with temporary. I do appreciate 
it does cause confusion because temporary suggests short term, but temporary just is really talking about those of us who intend to go back to the office eventually when COVID allows us. Well, obviously we've covered a lot of ground today and it's been very topical considering what we're all facing at the moment and the uncertainty of COVID-19 moving forwards. And the HSE has been right at the front of giving out advice. And as you said, you've been very, very busy in recent months. But if people want to follow up on what they've heard today, you've got a plethora of information that's available to help them. Um, can, can you direct them to maybe your website for more information? Is that the best place to go? It's certainly a very good start, yes. The uh, the COVID pages on the HSC website, which is uh, HSC, I wish I'd looked it up now, um, hsc.gov.uk, and then there's a big red link there with COVID-19. Um, follow those pages uh, towards the home working guidance, and there's a plethora of information, plus you know risk assessment format so that you can do a quick assessment of your own DSC. A few informational videos as well, so you can share them with colleagues just to raise awareness about DSC for your, 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 your no doubt Zoom or, or, or phone in team talks and things. Just keep raising awareness using our HD website. The Chartered Institute for Ergonomics and Human Factors as well, CIEHF, have got some very good uh, you know, three brochures just capturing the main points of how to set up a workstation, things to be aware of. And they're looking at the physical design as well as you know, looking after mental well-being as well and avoiding annoyances while working at home. Well, Matthew, thank you for joining us today. It's been great to chat to you and we've covered a number of really, really important topics. So, so thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for your time and, and wish you, you and, of course, uh, all your followers the, the, the best of health. And uh, just as a reminder, stay active. Just keep your steps in. Keep looking after yourselves. So returning to the news, but actually carrying on with news coming out of the Health and Safety Executive, the HSE actually issued a gas detection safety alert. This safety alert highlights the risk of misleading gas detection readings associated with the use of sampling tubes with pumped gas detectors. Sampling tubes are sometimes used to extend the reach of the detection device and to allow detection at an increased distance from the user. So in a recent incident, a gas detector actually failed to detect the presence of a flammable vapour. Hot work proceeded in the belief that there was no flammable vapour present. The subsequent explosion resulted in a fatality. So an investigation by the HSE found that a significant contributor to the failure to detect the flammable vapour was it being absorbed on the inner surface of the sample tube. This meant that no flammable vapour reached the detector before the test was completed and a false conclusion that the work area was free from flammable vapours. This incident has highlighted the importance of selecting the correct systems for gas detection and verifying the effectiveness of the detection system. The purpose of this safety alert is to highlight the risks of absorption if an unsuitable sample is used. So if you want to find out a bit more about the action point that the HSE have given, then just go to our website, which is hsmsearch.com, and the full story is there. All you need to do is use the search box and we'll come up with the headline, which is gas detection safety alert from the HSE. But, you know, it's something a bit different. We don't always cover gas detection very often. It is a key part. But when the HSE does give a safety alert like this, we do like to try and share it with you. So moving on to our final story of the day, it's actually a prosecution. A specialist 
industrial services company has been fined after a worker suffered a fatal injury whilst cleaning wastewater pipes. This is actually a, a massive fine. It's a £2 million fine. And this all took place at Birmingham Magistrates Court had heard that on the 18th of June 2017, Joseph MacDonald, an employee of Ledeck Limited, was using a high-pressure washer jetting equipment to clear paint residue from pipes in a paint shop at a car manufacturing site in Solihull. During the process, Mr MacDonald was struck by the end of a flexi-lance, causing a fatal injury. An investigation by the Health and Safety Executive found that the company recognised the risks of operating high-pressure water jetting equipment, but they'd failed to put in place appropriate measures to mitigate those risks. They had not implemented or enforced the use of various control measures, such as a pressure regulator or anti-ejection device, which were missing at the time of the incident, and training and supervision were also not up to standard. Ledeck Limited of Ledeck House Academy Drive, Warwick, pleaded guilty to breaching Section 2.1 of the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, and as I said, was fined £2 million, but also ordered to pay £30,000 in costs. Speaking after the hearing, HSE Inspector Richard Littlefair said, Companies must understand that high-risk activities require a thorough risk assessment process and robust management systems to protect their employees from the risk of serious or fatal injury. It's not good enough for companies to assume they're doing all they can do to control the risk just because there have been no previous incidents. Joseph McDonald's death could have been prevented by Ledeck Limited had the necessary control measures and management systems been in place to protect its employees. So yeah, another very sad and terrible case. Uh, but I raise this one in particular because it is a it is a particularly large fine, two million pounds. So there's there's a lot going on in terms of legal framework at the moment and I don't know if many of you are aware but there is two new laws relating to health and safety and fire safety coming in through parliament they both had their first reading there's a new building safety bill and the new fire safety bill both of these in particular and look at the fire safety aspect which we all have responsibility to know if we're responsible for health and safety in our workplaces and in fact there has been no changes to fire safety legislation and the building regulations for a long long time so this is actually really, really key. And it looks like both of those new pieces of legislation will go through Parliament and be implemented sometime, probably, I would say, mid to end of 2021. Now, if you're not familiar with this, you probably do need to get familiar with it. But we can actually help you with that. Our sister title, Fire Safety Matters, has partnered with Blackhurst Bud and Warren Spencer. And Warren Spencer, for those of you that listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast that I'm part of, is a leading fire safety lawyer in the UK. He's prosecuted more cases under the fire safety order than anybody else. It's over 200 cases now. So Warren is actually hosting a conference which is titled Legal Update, the New Fire Safety Bill. And this will take place on the 3rd of December. Now, he is being partnered with Joseph Hart, who is the leading fire safety barrister in the UK. No one has prosecuted more cases as a barrister under the fire safety order in the UK than him. And also James Aird, another lawyer for Warren's practice, Blackhead Bud Solicitors, will be involved in this. So this takes place, as I said, 10am on the 3rd of December. You'll get three CPD hours or three hours worth of CPD points for attending. And it really is a must attend and it, and, it, and it will cover all the key aspects of the new fire safety bill and the building safety bill and it will also 
encompass the EWS1 form as they're all part of this this new legislation, everything that's going on at the moment. So if you would like to take part in this, all you need to do is go to the FSM website, which is fsmatters.com and click on the webinars tab there and you can book your place to go to this online conference. So not to be missed. So please do head over to fsmatters.com and click on the webinars tab. And that's as I said, takes place on the 3rd of December, 2020 and it's started a legal update to the new fire safety bill i'll be hosting it but really obviously you're not there for me you'll be there for for warren and the guys who will give you a really great insight to everything you need to know for what's coming up so now it's time to introduce our final guest for today's episode of the health and safety matters podcast and i was joined earlier today by ben horton who's technical director of Arco Professional Safety Services and it was great to catch up with Ben and, and he's really given us an interesting insight on a couple of key topics such as how can businesses manage rising risks to safety and which industries are in danger of becoming more susceptible to workplace risks. So well worth a listen. So I sat down with Ben earlier today and here's what he had to say. <music> Good morning, Ben. How are you? I'm very well, thanks very much, Mark. Well, really appreciate you joining us today. Um, Arco have been extremely busy during this really uncertain year, so I want to pick your brain on a few key topics, if that's okay. Um, which industries are in danger of becoming more susceptible to workplace risks? Well, I think um, from from point of view uh, of of those industries that are at uh, highest risk. Um, the stats clearly tell us where, where those are going. I, I do think, though, that, um, that COVID has exacerbated things in certain parts um, of our industry. Um, and and my, my, my thoughts on this are very much that, uh, you know, COVID has is, is, is created restrictions in movements. It's, it's forcing organisational change in a lot of places. And also that furlough um, has... Uh, has put people out of the workplace for extended periods of time. Um, in our particular uh, area of expertise, it's the working at height and confined spaces. Um, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's plain to see that the skills fade there could have, you know, profound consequences. Um, and so to sort of answer your question on that, I think it's, it's, it's a combination of those high-risk industries that have always had those risks associated with them, exacerbated by the COVID uh, issues. Um, and, and businesses have been impacted by lockdown, um, you know, the, the furlough and the staff absence, um, the need to be mindful of, of, of the staff returning to work and, you know, and being quite rusty at what they do. Uh, they'll, they'll focus, obviously, on, on, on efficiencies. So if they if they're um, struggling with uh, tasks, then they may well give them, uh, you know, uh, support to 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 get their tasks up to speed. But they really, really need to be concentrating on their safety critical activities as well. I think that's where the problems lie with this, uh, Mark. So, in your opinion, how can businesses manage the rising threats to safety? Well, um, we've got to assess the safety critical skills, um, particularly during the reboarding process of workers. Uh, and 
you know, really uh, trying to boost the, 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 the health and safety training um, where skills gaps may be present. Um, the, the, I, I have a strong suspicion that at the moment uh, we're, we're focusing very much on the COVID pandemic and the dangers that are inherent with that. But uh, as I've put it beforehand, what we don't want to do is step out of the way of the COVID bus, only to be run over by the bus of a different um, risk. You know, and as I spoke beforehand, uh, you know, working at height, uh, combined spaces, uh, any anything that, that that could present a danger to um, to to our colleagues and workers uh, needs to be taken into to account. Um, and so we, we we need to be uh, be careful that those skills are being maintained. The difficulty in this um, environment at the moment, of course, is that um, it's very difficult to to be able to have proximity, and an awful lot of that training requires this practical uh, part of it. And it's a, such a, such an important part of um, training. Um, however, there are places, uh, you know, for video uh, conferencing. VR is becoming a very useful tool, um, you know, but in, in, in high-risk occupations, it's absolutely uh, uh, must be supplemented by training in the physical environment. I think it's all too tempting, um, you know, for, uh, you know, companies to simply rely on theoretical training. Uh, and I think, I, you know, I'd like to use a quote which I use quite a lot, which is a ben Benjamin Franklin one. Tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I learn. And absolutely in these high high risk uh, industries, that involving uh, is, is, is a critical element to the training. Um, but we need to recognise that we are moving into new times. Um, the new ways of, of doing business are, are going to be here to stay, and we've got to adapt to that. And the digital world is is where I think an awful lot of people will be heading. Um, and so, you know, I think we're in the infancy, particularly in in our particular industry at the moment, of how we're able to um, to, to perform training through virtual reality and video-based learning. But equally, we can we can help to adapt through a thing called blended learning, where theory is done, you know, behind a computer in, in, in isolation, and the practical element is delivered uh, at uh, at a training centre. So we're still we're still getting that element uh, woven into that that training. Well, obviously, training has been massively impacted, as you said. It's been a very strange year. I don't think we've ever had one quite like it. So I'd like you to elaborate a bit more on that. In the wake of COVID-19, how has it, well, COVID-19 impacted training centres? Well, um, first of all, of course, uh, as I spoke beforehand, we're bringing in um, people from around the country. So, uh, you know, and one of the things we're facing into at the moment, of course, is that we may have well, may well have people travelling out of very high risk or high risk areas. We're currently in a, a medium risk, so we've got to we've got to take that um, into account. Um, equally, when we have people uh, arriving and uh, in classrooms, we've got a proxy issue and that's worse when of course you get into the practical training side of things where instructors need that uh, physical interaction often with the, the the training delegate because you know primarily we've got to make certain that the equipment they're using is, is has been put on properly you know, particularly working at height where you know you're in a, in a real life situation so we've, we've we've faced into an awful lot of that so uh, but also um, we've developed quite a lot of video based based learning as well and we're also investing in currently in VR but if a, um, a candidate was to arrive 
arrive at our training centre, any one of our training centres, uh, either at, uh, in the Midlands, uh, up in the northwest in Warrington, or um, you know, in, in our future um, uh, training centre up in Linlithgow in Scotland. Uh, the first thing will happen is uh, you'll be greeted uh, and asked to fill in the questionnaire so that we know you know about the background of that person uh, obviously we're a little bit further down the line with contact tracing now but we can't rely on that the next thing we will do a uh, a temperature check a non-contact temperature check uh, and and if, if if everything's okay then they'll be uh, brought into the training center we are socially distancing so the, the we're having to use large you know classrooms if our classroom isn't big enough the only thing we recourse we have is reduce the, the delegates within that uh, classroom we're using screens uh, and we're having face coverings as well between uh, you know if, if people are moving away from their their place of, um, of you know the classroom or going down to the practical areas in the practical areas where there's a possibility of close uh, proximity then of course it's face covering this again so there's quite a lot of things we've had to do um, but equally we've also had to make certain that any of these things that we do don't compromise safety in other areas for instance communication and as a result of the pandemic has there been anything that you've had to do differently yeah, I mean, one of the things that has really uh, has been very much at the forefront, of course, is respiratory uh, equipment face fit testing. Um, we've seen a marked increase in this. We've we've, we've had a team um, doing this for many many years, um, and this has, has has really really taken off in the last uh, three or four months. Of course, uh, it's been very topical, um, and uh, the 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 fact that um, the, the face coverings have been difficult to get hold of. There have been, um, you know, some issues with with uh, non-compliant um, face uh, masks coming into the country. But the the that side is the, very much the manufacturing side. So the the close fitting um, disposable BSEN one four nine really dis is 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 centered around the the manufacturing process the world we live in of course is a contextual um you know world it's where faces are different sizes um people probably don't understand that a face fit can be compromised by even having stubble on the uh, on the face so there's, there's 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 that part of things so um you know part of our face fit uh, training has been to make certain that we're getting out testing uh, various masks, having access to various masks that we can utilize for different face shapes, but then equally training people to use those so that then in the future, they're able to, um, to, to, to don and doff masks so that they're getting the best effect effectiveness out of them. And Ben, if people want to find out more information about Arco and your part of the Arco business, how can they get in touch? Well, we are um, Arco Professional Safety Services, uh, and we've got a website which is um, you can find at uh, Arco Services. Um, and uh, we, the easiest thing to do is, if you want information, is to contact our sales team. Um, we've got a we've got a, a number which is zero double three zero. 390822 uh, an email uh, if you'd like to send an email into info at uk. Well Ben it's great to catch up with you really appreciate your time today thank you Not at all very glad to, uh, to, to, to help
And that's all we've got time for in this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. In the meantime, you can, of course, see all the latest news, prosecutions and products and services in the sector by visiting our website, hsmsearch.com. It's also well worth going to the webinars tab there so you can listen to our back archive of webinars or sign up to our future ones, including the one, as I said, with Warren Spencer under the fire safety order. Thanks again to our sponsors, the health and safety event. And if you want more information or register to attend that for free, all you need to do is go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com. So the Health and Safety Matters podcast comes out monthly now. And please do share this with your industry colleagues and friends. Please do give us a positive review on iTunes or whatever platform that you've got. And if you'd like to drop us a line at any point for any topics you'd like us to have in the future any guests you might like us to bring on just go on to twitter or linkedin and use the hashtag hsm podcast so thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on the health and safety matters podcast 